You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. This is Creek, along with my co-host, Drew! Hey, bro! There we go. There's a squirrel trying to get my bird feeder outside. Oh, darn squirrels. About to awaken that nine's anger right there. <laughs> um, speaking of squirrel, I don't know. there's no lead so in. <laughs> um, yeah, today we have uh, one of our teachers, Linda. Um, previously, earlier this season, we had Nan, Nan Henson, who Nan and Linda run Enneagram Georgia together and uh, are the ones that gave us our certification of the Enneagram knowers of things. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Linda is just is a wonderful human and uh, mm-hmm. just really enjoyed hearing um, some really deep insights on how she especially works through the inner critic and her own mm-hmm. ego fixation. Uh, I love this conversation. Linda Roberts is such a wise calm, consistent presence. And I think that comes through in our conversation with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Linda just brings a wealth of experience uh, to this conversation. Former president of the International Enneagram Association, authorized uh, teacher within the Enneagram Institute, well-versed in the Diamond Heart approach. Um, Just so much to offer us and our listeners. Yeah, I agree. Uh, This was another one of my favorite conversations of this season. And like you said, Drew, she's got so much experience. I think she said 18 years she's been working with the Enneagram. Mm. One thing I, I think our listeners will really enjoy and appreciate is uh, she sort of, in a sense, debunks by uh, sharing the the exact um, language of the inner critic for every one of the types, not just the one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you'll, you'll get to hear that, which is really great. And it just is super insightful to know what is, what is this... Uh, this secret, small, quiet voice that is keeping my ego structure intact. Yeah, she just she teaches us really well on, on how to look for that, what that is. Great. So without further ado, here's our interview with Linda Roberts. All right. So Linda, for our audience, we know you decently well. Uh, for our audience, can you um, give us a quick summary of... How, how would you describe yourself in five words? Ooh. Whoa, in five <laughs> words. Um, Feels like the tables have turned a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, five words. Um, I would describe myself as an Enneagram professional, primarily a teacher and facilitator. I would describe myself as... Um, Someone who has taken quite a journey with the Enneagram. I know this is more than five words, but taken my own personal journey with the Enneagram mm-hmm. and just so feel that I want at least to provide an opening for others to take a similar journey hmm. or take their own journey. And along those lines, can you uh, maybe share with us what is your Enneagram journey? Mm-hmm. How did you come to know it? So I, like many others, I think will say that the Enneagram found me, and it was in the early 2000s. 
I had um, taken an early retirement from a corporate career, a management career in information technology. Had my project management professional certification when I, I left that corporate world and had begun to teach uh, professional project management training classes. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, the one of the classes I taught that I was my favorite really was one that was more about the soft, what we call the soft side of project mm-hmm. management, which is the people side. Um, there are mm-hmm. a lot of technical aspects of project management, and those are fun for me too because I enjoy structure. I operate from mm-hmm. the sixth space on the Enneagram, and mm-hmm. um, I do like structure. So that comes sort of naturally for me, but the, the people are really in my career and in my teaching of project management trainings. It's really the people I like to focus on. So in that class, we were using an instrument, sort of a personality typing instrument that was very rudimentary, if you will. You were either red, green, blue, or in the hub. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, this, this is not the poor souls in the hub. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I don't even know what it means, but it sounds bad. Yeah, <laughs> right. But um, you know, it was helpful and provide people provided people with insights, and particularly when I was working with um, coherent teams where the mm. people knew each other and they could, you know, had these aha moments, even with a rudimentary, rudimentary tool like that. Um, And I think just maybe in talking about that and how much I was enjoying that, um, somehow people started mentioning the Enneagram. Anybody Mm. I knew, there were very few people back then that it was Mm. rare to find people who knew anything at all about the Enneagram, had ever even heard of it, Mm. as I had never heard of it. And Um, and when was this? This was in the early 2000s. Okay. So after I'd heard that word several times um, and someone had put a book in my hand, a friend had put a book in my hand, I began to look at it. And I I have to admit, I wasn't taken to it right off the bat. And it wasn't until I, um, on the way to the beach with some girlfriends, I took along some tapes, uh, audio tapes, uh, Richard Rohr's audio tapes. Mm that a friend of mine had loaned me, and we listened to those on the way to the beach. And, whoa, he started with type one and described the one, and I actually thought I was a one, the way he described it. But anyway, long all that to say that um, it was Richard. I, I give him credit for me huh. really taking huh. a keen That's interest. Cool. Yeah, Very interesting. If you were in an elevator and someone asked you, oh, you're Linda, how would you describe the Enneagram? <laughs> you have three floors to do it. Okay. How, how would you do this? All right. Oh, gosh. I've had so many versions of that over the years. <laughs> yeah. um, you and, and Abram both. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my tendency these days is to lead with um, describing it as a psycho-spiritual tool. Um, mm. I don't like to lead with it's a personality typing system because mm. that just immediately puts people in a place of mm. thinking, okay, Myers-Briggs or right. DISC yeah. or something else. So, Or they're um, in the hub, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Maybe they're in the, in the hub. 
Right. So psycho spiritual tool because I want to plant right up front the seed mm. that it mm-hmm. is yeah. it has a real depth to it. And from there I I focus on the fact that it's a tool. You know, it is not an end all. It is a tool that um, helps us to develop a capacity for uh, a greater capacity for self awareness, for understanding ourselves, understanding others, and developing compassion or holding compassion for both self and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I might go on to talk about, you know, patterns. It helps us to see the patterns of behaviors and thoughts, um, habitual patterns of right. behaviors and thoughts and emotional activity that may not be serving us so well. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, but Linda, you've been you've been working with the Enneagram for how long though? How long has it, it been? It's been, I would say, eighteen-ish years. Um, now okay. from and that would date back to when I really first started taking a deep dive on my own before I went to training. I went to my first in-depth part one uh, Riso Hudson part one Enneagram training in two thousand five. Wow! About okay. right wow. Uh, February of two thousand five. Okay. So this oh, yeah. is an anniversary. <laughs> well, happy wow. anniversary! Yeah. <laughs> wow! How, and how long was that getting the whole certification for you? How long did that take? Ooh, um, the certification project. So I started in February of 2005. I completed it at the end of 2007. Um, okay. That was all the training and the essays and the video of me of teaching. All of mm. that was submitted at the end of 2007. Um, yeah. So I was and, officially certified in January of 2008. Right. And did you start teaching right away? Because I hear from a I, I hear this question a lot on Facebook groups or just anybody asking, so when when is it okay for you to start teaching or coaching or any of that stuff? And I always get a different answer, and I have my opinions, but I'm curious about mm-hmm. what you think on that. Right. Um, I Well, first of all, I think that people really need to, if they're going to teach, they need to have some, have really developed a capacity for awareness of, and so that they can answer that question for themselves. Mm. Am I ready? And I know our ego personality can get in the way of that, like for certain types <laughs> their ego personality is telling them they're more ready than they actually are. Yeah. Or For never some types, ready. it's like, yeah. okay, I'll never be ready fully. But uh, honestly, the Riso Hudson certification program, um, once you get into it and get some, the, particularly after the initial part one training and begin to get into the training, Don and Russ really encouraged us to step into that space to you know, mm-hmm. test it out, and part of the certification requirement was to submit at least a 90-minute video of us teaching the Enneagram. Oh. So we're doing oh, wow. that along with doing the trainings and um, and writing the essays. So you mentioned that you uh, you experience yourself as a dominant type 6. Yes. Um, I want to say, what is your experience being a type 6? But I want to be a little bit more specific of... How do you find yourself to be in that six trance in the morning, and how do you get out of it? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, okay. So, true confessions. Um, I still 
on days wake up with an awareness that I am in a very anxious place. Mm. It's, I don't know, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's something that's gone on and may, it, there may be, it is somewhat dependent on what's going on in my life at the time, sure. but certainly, you know, that dream state, I don't, I don't remember my dreams very well, but I know there's still a lot of, I'm still having dreams mm -hmm. that of those anxious times mm -hmm. in my life. So, um, so that's not that unusual to wake up with that sense of anxiety. Um, and fortunately, you know, I'm just so aware of it. So I can mm -hmm. literally lay there in bed and do a sensing practice and just sit with it and allow it to be there. And it usually dissipates. Mm. Hopefully before I do my morning sitting, because <laughs> yeah. it can yeah. get in the okay. way of that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a double meditation that that happens in the morning, right? That's that's, that's great. Wow. Yeah. And of course, other days I wake up and you know ah, everything's bright. Everything those are the feels best days, good. right? Yeah. Those are <laughs> when the really I wake up days. happy, I'm like, what is yeah. this? Is this what like everyone <laughs> feels? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say it's evident that. You, you have done the work day in and day out because you do like my experience with you, Linda is you're such a calming, mm. gentle and wise presence in the teaching space. And I'm, I'm sure that's also coming through here when our audience, you know, listens to this episode. So thanks Thank for you, uh, Drew. Yeah, letting thanks. us kind of get a peek into that morning routine. Yeah. Can, uh, can I just insert a real quick story here that I'm remembering I remember when we were all getting our certification, there was, there was a moment, and Kevin would actually remember this too, there was a moment where everyone was like talking and kind of arguing and getting just a ruckus happening, and then Linda just stands in the corner, closes her eyes, takes a deep breath, and everyone instantly quiets. <laughs> it's like she just used her Jedi mind tricks I think on everyone. We had one or two what? instances of that as well in my group, yes. Yeah. Oh. Love yeah, it. Uh, that was, it, was, it, was, it was incredible, actually. Yeah. So, um, anyways. <laughs> uh, Linda, one of the things that you have done, you're, we're going to get into all the work you're doing now. Well, maybe we should do that now. Should we talk about briefly about the work you're doing now with the Enneagram? Yeah. We've kind of done the, your origin story and how, you, how it found you. So tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with it now. Right now, I've, I've sort of gradually over the last couple of years, gone into a process of retiring from things that I'd no longer want to do, one of <laughs> which was teaching project management classes, which I did <laughs> up through 2019. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. The other was I had been doing some Enneagram work with self-awareness leadership uh, programs with a company in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, using the Enneagram as a tool, and I loved it. And I had been doing it for six or seven years and traveling back and forth to uh, Louisville. So I um, decided I'd let them know that I wanted 2020 to be my last year of that. 
So now that leads me to current, which is that um, primarily what I'm focused on now is in terms of Enneagram work is the program that Nan Henson and I created, the certification program that both of you have, or all three of you have uh, gone through. So mm. um, we're, I think we're going to try to do that, Three have three cohorts this year. The all last right. couple of years we've had two, wow. so we're going to try to add a third cohort to that this year. Wow. And then I spend a whole lot of time with a lot of other volunteer work. Okay. Oh, that's wow. great. Yeah, thank and you. And like we said in uh, Nan's episode, everyone, this is the certification. If you want to be certified, go with Nan and Linda. It yeah. is best bang for your buck. And uh, yeah, you'll you'll emerge a, a better person for sure. Thank you. Because we obviously have, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. No, I that. It's yes, so, I'm it, pr- so proud of you guys. <laughs> I feel I feel like the mama, proud mama. <laughs> no, it uh, is a fantastic training, and I know all three of us recommend it frequently because yeah, we get a sure. lot of you know DMs on social media asking us about certification training. So, Linda, I did want to ask you: you are a past president of the International Enneagram Association. For those of our listeners who don't know, the International Enneagram Association, or you know, often known as the IEA. It's kind of the professional associ- the largest professional association of Enneagram people in the world, right? And it really the only one that encompass that transcends schools and teachers and whatnot. And you were president right. of this. So I'm just curious <laughs> what that experience was like. Oh wow. So I was on the um, IEA Global Board, and it is an international organization. That's one of the things that I've loved and was drawn to it from the very beginning. In fact, I discovered the IEA in 2006, I believe it was. I went to my first IEA conference and attended every year after that because I, I just loved the international aspect of it. I loved that we, it was people coming together to, you know, share ideas and learn from each other. And um, it. I was very happy to be um, and honored to be invited onto the board. I think it was around the end of 2010. And so I served on the board. It's a six-year term. It's a, a th- two, three-year terms on the board. And mm-hmm. then you roll off. You know, there's nobody's like mm-hmm. uh, forever on the IEA board. Um, So the last two years of that, um, I did serve as president, and it was beautiful. Um, The board that that I had to work with was um, just wonderful. Came from different Enneagram backgrounds, and there was mutual respect for Mm. that. When you ask that question, what it was like to be president, the first thing that comes to mind is standing, opening a conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity to go up on the stage and look out at an auditorium full of Enneagram people mm-hmm. is uh, just, I don't know, makes me even almost tear up. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. wow. So. Yeah. And I, I look forward to when we can do that again <laughs> in person. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is such a beautiful weird and wonderful group of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that in the Emphasis best way. On the weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that in all in yeah, in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Wow. Linda, another thing that, you know, we know you've been affiliated with uh, or have used with the Enneagram is the diamond heart approach. 
And we kind of wanted to just fill in our, our listeners a little bit about what that was. You know, I, you know, like the Enneagram doesn't really come with like exact methods for change, but this is one of the tools that I know you've partnered the Enneagram with or supplemented it with. Yeah. We just, could you kind of fill in our listeners about what that is and, and then even how you've used that to combine with the Enneagram for transformation for change? And I yes. do believe this is the first time Diamond yeah. Approach has been mentioned on this podcast. Oh, okay. So, like, All right. this is the primer of the primer. All right. <laughs> yeah. Great, great. Yeah. So, the Diamond Approach is a spiritual path. It's, I think of the Diamond Approach as a spiritual path and a community of people who are deeply committed to engaging in deep inner work. Um, if I go back to my elevator speech about the Enneagram, mm-hmm. I stress the fact that it's a tool. It is mm-hmm. not a path. I think people are trying to make it a path. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so the diamond approach, uh, the, the Enneagram and Don and Russ set me on the path of inner work w- using this Enneagram tool. But to really continue to do inner work, I needed a path. And so that's when I joined a Diamond Heart group, a Diamond Approach group. Let's see. I think it was after I'd actually gone through the full Enneagram certification program, but I've been in a Diamond Approach work for about 12 or 13 years. Hmm. And um, it's a path where I always like to make sure or reinforce the fact that I believe that the Enneagram is primarily a tool for um, ultimately opening ourselves to our more essential nature, mm-hmm. getting our, relaxing our ego structures and allowing ourselves to function and just to experience life more aligned with true nature or God mm-hmm. or the divine, what, whatever word. The diamond approach work is a path for doing that, and it's mm-hmm. all about the inner, inner work. The Enneagram is a tool in the toolkit for the diamond approach work. And quite honestly, it's used mostly at the sort of towards the beginning of the work and not so much as we move deeper. Okay. Okay. And if somebody was looking to read up a little bit more about this or who even came up with this work, where where would you send them? It's the Ridwan School, R I D H W A N. If you Google Ridwan, you will find the Diamond Approach School. It's not traditionally, it's traditionally the school has not been very self promoting. You know, people discover it and are drawn to it, and it takes that kind of person really to engage in the work. So, right, but right. Ridwan, and it's, and it's um, A. H. Almas is the author is the pen name for uh, Hamid Ali, who mm-hmm. is the founder of the Enneagram mm-hmm. approach. I mean, of the diamond approach. One other thing to say about the diamond approach is that one of the things I love about it is that there are no beliefs to accept. There no, mm. there's no ideology associated with it. Mm. It is just deep inner work. It's discovering our own truth. Mm. And I'll mention that Sandra Matry is my teacher. 
Oh, wow. And, of course, yes. she has written. She's my, uh, happens to be the teacher of my particular Enneagram group. And, um, of course, she's written the couple books yes. on the Enneagram mm-hmm. or my Diamond Approach group. And she's written books on the Enneagram. And so she actually incorporated, this was another thing I was drawn to that particular group because she was incorporating the Enneagram more so into the Diamond Approach work than some of the other Diamond Approach teachers because they really honestly, mm-hmm. Honestly, a lot of dominant approach teachers don't really have an in-depth understanding of the Enneagram. Ah, okay. So would you say then that the, the dominant approach isn't really inherently working with the Enneagram, but some, peop- some people with, with the dominant approach use the Enneagram as well together? It's a tool in the toolkit. Right. In yeah. the dominant okay. approach work. Thanks for sharing that. So one of the you know one of the big reasons that we wanted to have you on, um, besides obviously just the big influence that you've had on all three of us, is to dig more deeply into the wisdom, um, your wisdom on the inner critic. I'm sure you've heard this, but there's so many, way too many people that uh, that that think that the the inner critic is just a condition for type one, um, <laughs> when obviously it plays a, a massive role for every uh, ego structure, every Enneagram type. And you've done a lot of great work on this, and so we'd just love to talk more about this. Go really go as deep as you would like to go uh, in in the realm of the world of the inner critic. All yeah. right. Yes, it's one of my favorite topics. Um, I think we're drawn to work with and even teach what we most need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, as an Enneagram type six or operating from that space, I, um, I have a pretty strong inner critic, a pretty strong superego. So I use the words superego and inner critic interchangeably. Right. Mm-hmm. That's helpful to know, I think. Yeah. Yes. And I think of in I in developing a workshop around the inner critic, one of the insights I had was that there really sort of two roles to me that the inner critic is playing. Hmm. One is the judge. It is the self-criticism. It is this uh, thing that we don't need, but it is there that mm-hmm. shames us and blames us and, you know, self-criticizing. That's the judge. It's also actually the judge that judges others, judges the outside world. Um, so that's one aspect to think of the inner critic. And the other is that it's, I call it the ego manager, sending mm-hmm. marching orders to this little voice that says, okay, you as an eight, if I'm a type eight, well, I'll just use me, I'm a six, you need to be responsible and doing Mm. what's expected of you. Mm. And that voice is coming from that superego slash inner critic. It's like just, you know, demanding that I keep these ego structures strong. Okay, yeah. And it does not serve me well. Right. <laughs> I'm curious uh, to kind of unpack even what this is and where would you say, like, where does the inner critic come from? What, what's, mm-hmm. How is it formed? What's it made up of? I think two things. One is just as I believe that we come into this world with a particular temperament, a particular sort of operating system upon which our ego structures are built that are turn out to be an Enneagram type, right? Similarly, I mean, the superego is a part of that, of those ego structures. 
So by definition, in my mind, the ego, that superego is going to develop with a particular flavor, particularly the aspect that does the marching orders. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing, the judge has something to do with that, but um, the inner critic is formed in those first early years of life where we're learning. We're learning how to function in the world, mm-hmm. and we're taking in messages about do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn't, and mom and dad have to teach us not to run across the street, you know, in front of car. I mean, it, you know, it's we can't as human beings survive with our instincts alone. Mm -hmm. Some creatures on this planet can. Mm -hmm. Alligators, you know. But we can't survive on our instincts alone, so we have to learn this these do's and don'ts. We have to learn the rules of life. So we absorb both explicit as well as implicit messages that, Mm -hmm. and we need that just as we need our ego personality to get us launched into adulthood, if you will. But I think of the inner critic, the superego, as training wheels. Mm -hmm. At some Ah. point, we take them off. We do not need it. It gets in our way (laughs) of opening to our true self. And what comes online in place of opening, in place of the superego, as we open, is what Gurdjieff would call the, he referred to it as conscience. And it's not the Mm. conscience, it's not the guilty kind of conscience that we think of. That's an ego version of conscious or conscience. But it's rather he, he defines it or describes it as an innate knowing of truth. In other words, when we're operating from that space, there's an inner guidance that's coming forth that isn't, that's very different from that superego that sits on my shoulder. How would you, I mean, in your own, in your own head, how would you, how do you differentiate between when the inner critic, like what does it, the inner critic sound like versus the more compassionate, kinder conscience voice? So I've had a recent experience (laughs) that has had me journaling about this very thing. And, you know, I can go to that place of, oh, you should have done that. You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You you know, all the that criticism um, that's coming my way versus just sitting with, I guess, sitting with the with a quiet mind, not trying to analyze the situation, but just from a quiet space, tapping into the experience that I've had that I wish I hadn't had, (laughs) Mm. and just allowing it to be there. And what generally happens is that I find just my heart is opening. And the word I use that arises instead of that criticism is um, a sense of remorse. And I think Mm -hmm. remorse is very different from regret or guilt. Wow. It it, it comes from a real deep heart place. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could sit with that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing is a, is not a great word for this, but I can't think of another word. But so dealing with your inner critic is, is more 
how would you how would you practically you're just allowing the inner critic to say what it wants to say it's not pushing it out of the way it's not saying shut up get out of here um, how, how what's that process of transferring and allowing the inner critic to morph into that more compassionate uh, remorseful mm-hmm. state well sometimes I'm more successful than others <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear that yeah um, yeah so just it begins with the awareness, the, you know, really seeing those that, mm. how I'm beating up on myself that is not helpful. And uh, the diamond approach, we do a lot of work in this arena. It is, I think it's a really important aspect of inner work is to really work with your inner critic and your yeah. superego. And so that's, you know, being able to say, okay don't really need that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. you know, okay, I, I, I can do that. I can keep doing that. I can get caught up in that just as in it's a version of getting caught up in, in an ego personality to be caught up in that superego, that self-criticism. So it just takes really being the awareness and moving into a place of real presence and allowing the mind to quiet and the heart to open and um, sitting with sitting with whatever experience, and this is sort of fresh for me, but sitting with the experience that I've had and just allowing whatever arises, both in terms mm. of, you know, insights that a better understanding of what happened, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more importantly, even, I think, is just sitting with the pain. It's yeah. not fun to have those kind of situations no. and the pain of, um, and that that's where mm. the sense of remorse seems to arise from. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So in regards to the inner critic slash the compassionate uh, inner observer relationship, is would you say, in your opinion, the inner observer is maybe the presenced inner critic? Are, are, you know what I mean? Is I how, see the, what's the relationship yeah, there? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question, Seth. So the inner observer I f- see as purely objective, mm-hmm. no strings attached, purely seeing what is. What is reality? Mm. Without putting a spin to it. Mm. But then that leads to sort of a better understanding of what is, a better understanding of whatever this reality, what's actually happening. Mm. There's no, it's a, it's, it's an easy trap to go to or a place, easy place to go to is wanting to fix it, and that's not helpful. Mm. Egos can't fix egos. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've never heard it put that way, but... That, that's pretty yeah. profound, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I've just wondered if, if they're like the two sides of the same coin in a sense. Like Maybe. you can turn, like a spy can turn someone, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh, like co-opt uh-huh. it. Yeah, all right, I like that. I'll play with that. Um, I do, in, in the work that I developed around particularly this judge, this self-criticism, there's a model that sort of, arose for me that I've found helpful and in teaching uh, the workshop, uh, I think others find it helpful, and that is to sort of separate the critic, the judge, 
from the little inner child that's being judged. Mm. Oh. And to get in touch with that inner child and, you know, the experience of the shame, the experience of the guilt and the experience of the, you know, the actual inner child and understanding that relationship between the this part of me that's judging this part of me that's listening to the judge and experiencing all kinds of particularly emotional stuff mm -hmm. around being judged. And by understanding and looking at and observing, so this is where my observer comes in and shines the light on, oh, okay, I'm understanding this relationship a little bit better. From that can arise that third force. Mm -hmm which it sort of opens okay. the door for me stepping into my adult true self hmm. that is a different place. Yeah. yeah. So I use that model in the workshop. And I'll have to tell you guys that because I sort of knew you were going to ask me a question about inner critic, <laughs> I, I pulled out uh, and dusted off my inner critic workshop materials nice. mm. uh, just to take a look back at them and because I haven't taught it for two or three years and I'm going to dust it off and put it out there again oh, I, it's, Aww, it's time <laughs> yes. that's, that's great amazing. that's great um, this reminds me Linda of um, one of the things that I found really helpful in my own contemplative stream of Christianity uh, mm -hmm. is something called the welcoming prayer which is, it's used in all sorts of ways. And, and so I'll, I could describe it and others that use it may use it differently, but uh, it's often used for emotional kind of regulation. And I also find it helpful for the inner critic. Like when, yes. when I hear the inner critic, something about naming it. Yes. And showing a, a measure of hospitality to it without letting it, you know, kind of ransack my house, if you will. <laughs> right. Reduces its power. That's wonderful. Uh, and yeah, I think that's what you're getting at here a little bit is, is instead of just like, like Creek, like you said, kicking it to the curb immediately. <laughs> right. right. Hear, hearing what it has to say, but not letting it have the final say, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Love in, it. Uh, in recent meditations with a few things that I'm, I'm currently dealing with, it's, it's, it's not even on purpose, honestly, but the, the image of, a child sitting in my heart and and like crying and throwing a fit and like just imagining myself like stroking its head and giving it a hug and comforting it and to give me a sense of distance but also engagement into yeah. the thing yeah. um, that is causing the discomfort and the pain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so that's sort of, um, I think the two of you, what you've just said, how I'm relating that directly to what I was describing about getting, you know, stepping back and seeing the judge yeah. mm -hmm. for what it is and seeing this inner child who is being judged. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. So okay. are you relating those to the affirming and the denying force? Uh, as Yes. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. With yeah. the law of three and for With our the listeners. law of three being yeah. the, what allows us to, and by Working in that space allows us to open to, okay, maybe I can step into my adult mm. self, my true self. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah, there's that's easier said than done. <laughs> uh-huh, absolutely. <laughs> but a profound yeah. for it's a, it's a profound reminder and so I hope it is for our listeners too. If not it should be, you know, to sit with that for a while. Yeah. Linda, I wonder if if it's possible for you to maybe take a quick trip around the horn and describe perhaps the inner critic of all nine. Like what what would that inner critic sound like? What is it pointing towards generally? Just so our listeners have a have a maybe a deeper idea of what the differentiation is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of the shaming and blaming, I think that can vary quite a bit because um, it a, has a lot more to do with our nurturing, our holding environment, that mm. the nurturing aspect of how we're moving into adulthood. But in terms of our more Enneagram-related <laughs> inner critic, yeah, there's mm. a particular primary marching order for each mm. type. You know, we always like to start with type 8. Mm-hmm. And so for type 8, the superego is basically saying, okay, you're, gonna, you're good or okay, you got to do this. And my marching orders is that you have to be in control you have to be strong and in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So it's um, this is the Riso Hudson version of that is I am, you are good or okay. This is the superego message speaking to mm-hmm. my eight. You're good or okay if you are strong and in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's where I say, you know, that's what I think of as sort of that ego manager. It's like, yeah. okay, that mm-hmm. pressure to be strong and in control. Mm-hmm. For the nine, and I'm going to get, quote, pluses, pats on the back when I'm in that place of being strong mm-hmm. or where uh, my ego is judging that I'm, yeah. my superego is judging that I'm strong and in control. Yeah. And I'm going to get zapped if I ever show weakness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the nine, it, the marching orders, you're good or okay if you are at peace and others around you are okay. Now think about that for a moment. So my superego is gonna zap me when others around me, where there's upset hmm. around me. Yes. <laughs> this is, I think this is a, a huge important thing for people to understand about nines. Yeah. Is there's a more stereotypical idea in my opinion of that, that conflict is an issue internally but often, way more than anything, I'm more worried about other people being disturbed. And if I'm the cause of that. Mm-hmm. And that even is, if you're not, even if you're not, I, yeah. I, I live with a nine. It seems mm-hmm. that even mm-hmm. if I'm not responsible for some you know, yeah. upset that's happening, yeah. ooh, he's not okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I remember waking up to like, in a couple of years ago when I was in a coffee shop or there were multiple experiences of this, but somebody would trip when they're on their way to meet me and I act like I didn't see it because <laughs> if I did, it would make them feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It would cause some disruption between us right. and I would deny it. I would act like I'd, I would avoid that even I saw it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. There's my inner yeah. critic in play. There you go. There you go. So for the one, um, you're good or okay if you are good and doing what's right. Mm. If you're being good and doing what's right. And of course, mm. when we're operating from an ego personality place, 
who's deciding what's right. Yeah. More in, you know, I work with the levels. So the further down the levels we go, the more that the definition of right is getting crazier and crazier, and it's the superego that's defining. Yeah. Right. Which is what's so beautiful about an open and healthy one is that they're more in touch with that innate knowing of truth, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. real conscience. And so there's a, it's simply a a guide that I'm aligning to. Right. Right. Linda, I wonder if you could maybe share why you think the the type one is the the only one that the inner critic has landed on right um so the inner critic for our type one is there's a a diagram that russ has used that called the psychic structures we put the Mm -hmm. super ego right in the center for type one we make it big and fat for type one and we put a uh yellow a gold star on it Mm. (laughs) it's like the for ones they do tend to that super ego takes center stage Mm. and uh twos and sixes have sort of a fat super ego so there's a little more more awareness of super ego activity for those and um but the one not only has the fat it's in the center and it has a gold Mm. star (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's just very, very strong. So twos, um, I'm good or okay if I'm loving and close to others. Hmm. I'm good or okay if I'm loving and close to others. And this hmm. is what drives the two to be so focused on uh, relationship. You know, what's that connection between us am i close mm-hmm. to others mm-hmm. or do i have the right relationship the the good relationship mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah. yeah yeah it does three um you're good or okay if you are successful and others think well of you oh uh, yeah so again I here's well another so this is another type where the superego is, well, and to some degree, all every superego is probably reading or is getting input from external, right? Mm-hmm. But for the three, it's like, you know, I, I get zapped if other people aren't thinking about me in a certain mm. way. Yeah. And then we beat ourselves up for it. <laughs> Yeah, for even uh, ceding that power. When we realize we're ceding that power, we beat ourselves up for it. Yeah, so right. it's kind of a one-two right. punch of the inner yeah. critic, yeah. yeah. So when they're getting that, though, there's pluses adding, being added? And it's... Ye- from the superego, right. And I, do, right. I don't, ultimately, I don't need those pluses from my superego, right? But yes, mm-hmm. I am. I'm getting pluses, pants oh, on yeah. the back from, from the superego. It's like endorphins, yeah. And what happens then if he doesn't get the regard he's looking for? That's zapped. Not, he only drew. <laughs> zapped. <laughs> okay. oh, zapped. <laughs> we um, exposed. So yeah, for yeah. the you know for the three, the zap is a sense of failure. Yeah. Mm. The zap for an eight would be weakness, for example. Mm-hmm. So our All right, twos, enough about me. Oh, move on. To, me. Move fours, on to creek. Fours. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our fours. Um, He's wincing already on our on our video feed, by the way. 
I'm good or okay if I feel something and am true to myself. I feel something. So, you know, if it's just an everyday, ordinary, you know, trip to the grocery store, I may not feel something about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll make myself feel something about that. There you that. go. That's how that works. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, I say, that's why I refer to these as marching orders, mm-hmm. because your super ego is in pushing you to do exactly that. And it's yeah. a you know it's a, a good thing to do and and the being true to yourself it's similar to the one you know thinking that I've got to do what's right mm-hmm. being true to myself for a four operating more from an egoic structures place or more unconscious place that feeling true to myself can take some very interesting can get defined by my super ego in some very interesting ways. <laughs> hmm. uh-huh. So I you know you sometimes hear fours say they're being true to themselves. No, they're being true to um, what their super ego <laughs> has defined as being true to yourself. That's an onion and, right there, yeah. Yeah. When I, yeah, especially when I, um, when I, when I'm not feeling something intensely, I have a sense of like almost disembodiment in, <laughs> in a, wow. like I'm, I'm lacking self and mm. suspicious of everything. I'm waiting for the hammer to drop somewhere. I'm waiting for, uh, yeah, just a complete and utter like disorientation of how do I, how do I engage reality when I don't feel anything? Mm. It's very annoying. <laughs> yes. and, and so wonderful to see, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's okay. We got to allow yeah. it all, allow it exactly. all. That's one of the things exactly. I love about the diamond approach work is you, you allow everything, every mm. experience. Mm. So let's see our five. I'm good or okay as a five if I know something and have mastered something. Mm. I know and have mastered something. It's that, you know, I'm good or okay if I'm feeling confident. It's my knowledge gives me my head, is operates as my belly, <laughs> in mm. giving me the confidence that I think I need as a five. And that comes from having some area of expertise, some something that, you know, I can share with others. And two fives do like to share their expertise. Six, you're good or okay if you are responsible and doing what's expected. Hmm. So I have this little, you know, this little radar that pings everybody in my life that, okay, what's expected, what's expected, what's expected, what's expected. (laughs) And as a six, I'm like, okay, I've got to live up to all those expectations. Wow can drive wow. you to a pretty crazy place. Yeah. Quick question on that. I know I can imagine some people, some sixes may not resonate with like the word responsible, mm-hmm. especially if they're kind of more in that counterphobic situation where it's just all about almost denying the responsibility. Right. Can you speak a little bit on that? Uh, um, so <laughs> I appreciate the question. Sure. <laughs> oh, um, here we go. 
<laughs> what I'm realizing, I mean, it's really just, it gave me an aha right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that I do tend to operate from very much from the counterphobic uh, six place. Mm-hmm. And so that message makes all the sense in the world to me. Interesting. Okay. And I've never really actually thought about, and I think that superego message, these came from Don and Russ, right? Mm-hmm. These particular sure. messages. I just want to make sure that's clear. You know, I think that that was just that message did. I think it's a question that could be explored okay. as to, okay. you know, what might be better marching orders from a six that because sixes can be operating from really different spaces yeah. Yeah, so thank sense. you for the question yeah, and I can't that. answer it <laughs> <laughs> that's fine uh, so last but not least our seven uh, seven I am good or okay if I'm happy upbeat and getting what I need out there looking to our my experiences to fulfill me uh, sevens are ultimately looking for a sense of fulfillment not happiness as we you know not simple happiness but a sense yeah. of real fulfillment but i get into that scattered space of trying to go after it rather mm. than discovering that oh my god that sense of fulfillment comes from a very different place. It's not out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, Linda, I think what I've picked up on is that when we're getting zapped, as you've said, I like that language, uh, hmm. when we're getting zapped, when we're not able to meet the demands or placate to our uh, inner critic, what comes up is is uh, what we avoid. What to, That's specific to our any type. Like it would be, I feel disruption i feel conflict coming up because i'm not able to feel okay because other other people like you said vulnerable or vulnerability yes. or weakness for the eight right yeah. yes 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 anything cool. else gents before we close things oh up? that was great thank you yeah, yeah, that and was awesome. I, I think uh, sure. gives me up yeah a lot yeah to ponder <laughs> <laughs> thank you I, for that i have uh, yeah so many more questions but seriously I, yeah <laughs> we're we're coming up on our hour here so uh, well we'll gonna, do we'll do the inner critic workshop soon Yes. All right. Yes. yes. All right. Yes, yes. When that does happen, send us a link. We'll promote it through yes. our Instagram. Yes. Oh, great. Like great. So, so for people that want to find your work and, and connect with you for, for workshops and whatnot, where would be the best place for you for them to find you? Um, so I do have my own little website. And I used to be hesitant to answer this question because the site itself was embarrassing. Okay. Now, now I'm hesitant to answer the question because I now have a beautiful, beautiful website mm. that was developed by my dear friend, Dr. Rashawn. Oh. Who oh, I think yeah. you guys yeah. know. Yeah. Or, yeah. She was in my certification. Yes. Okay, right. Gosh, it's a beautiful website and I have neglected it. But. The website is, <laughs> having, <laughs> having put all those caveats on it, okay. as, a, as a good six would, um, <laughs> it's EnneagramHorizons.com. EnneagramHorizons.com. Mm, okay. okay. Great. Correct. And um, I this is prompting me to um, put on my to-do list, which I try not to make to-do <laughs> lists anymore, but I'll put it in my hopper. Mm that yeah, yeah, I need to probably get out there and live up to the beautiful creation that 
Dr. Rashawn's responsible for <laughs> keeping it updated. <laughs> Once again, Linda, thank you so much for yes. being here. We thoroughly enjoyed hearing your wisdom and just spending spending time with you. We need to we need to get together again soon. So uh, good. With, well, thank with you so and, much for having yes. me. I've thoroughly mm. enjoyed it. It's great to see you guys. Good. Wonderful. And you're too. doing such good work. Thank you. Oh, so thank I'm you. not a thank big you, podcast Linda. listener, but I've listened to some of yours. It's good stuff. Oh, oh. wonderful. That thank means you. a lot. Right. Well, take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.